What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just entered my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, an old franchise is said to be coming back, and a new studio at EA focused on open-world games has opened. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode in my news catch of the week. Gamers, that franchise that's making a return is none other than Time Splitters, the future perfect time bending first person shooter franchise that debuted back on the PlayStation 2 at its launch in October of 2000. Now, it was always published by EA and developed by Free Radical back in the day. Now, Free Radical has pretty much disbanded. Most of those members have moved on to different games and companies within the gaming industry. But one of my favorite publishers, I got to tell you, is Deep Silver. And Deep Silver is the company that has announced just this past week that they have gathered together a group of key original members from Free Radical Design. And they brought them together under the same name, including founders Steve Ellis and David Duack. Now, this studio is going to serve as a subsidiary of Deep Silver. And guess what? They are tasked with bringing back the Time Splitters franchise. Now, real quick, the reason why I love Deep Silver and the reason I said that is because I feel like they are a publisher that has a lot of faith in developers and in older franchises that may have laid dormant for a while. And I feel like, obviously, here we are again. I got to put a shout out out there to Deep Silver for having faith in these developers to bring back this franchise. Now, for me personally, the series was never a top-of-my-list kind of a series or franchise, but it always had certain uniquenesses to it and a certain allure. Now, if you never played the Time Splitters franchise, it was all about time travel. Imagine that. And there are these different time periods that you would go through, and there are 18 multiple characters that you play as over the course of the game. And there is a common foe that they would go up against, these creatures that actually travel through time and kind of try to wreck history and, and key moments in history with these special crystals that they wielded. Now, very cool concept. It was, it was a lot of fun. The level design was great. The bosses and the weapons and just the different gameplay aspects of these really the first two games in the franchise were a lot of fun and I would love to see the different time bending abilities and just exploring through time and the way that I think of Rift Apart Ratchet and Clank the new game looks like it will be able to do with this new hardware of the PS5 and the Series X so my mind goes rampant and gets really excited when thinking about those possibilities there. And I think that's probably one reason why Deep Silver decided, hey, let's get the band back together and see if these guys can put lightning in a bottle yet again and really do something special with this franchise. Now, my hope is here that they are going to be doing a single player focus game. And yeah, sure, have some multiplayer or some co-op components to it. But I really, really hope that they have a strong single-player story-centric game in mind here. And that that's where they're going to start and branch outward from that. Now, it was said that 
Development is not expected to begin on this game for quite a few months now. At this point, they're trying to get the team together, the right people and the right departments, and kind of do a, a pre-conceptualization stage of the game, as it were. So no rush on my end. I'd rather you come out with a quality product four or five years from now, as opposed to rushing to get it out and say two. So do your thing. Free Radical Devs, Deep Silver, do it to the best of your ability and give us an awesome, awesome restart to this fun franchise. So Time Splitters, if you never checked it out, I think you can pretty much find it on a lot of the digital storefronts. And uh, Homefront the Revolution actually had an Easter egg. Uh, first person shooter came out in maybe five years ago or so. And let me tell you, it wasn't that great of a game. But if you really wanted to play Time Splitters 2, you could unlock... So I really look forward to what this team is going to put out and hopefully it'll be something special and that we can really get behind in the coming years as it is released. Now, the second half to my news catch of the week segment this week is all about EA and their announcement that they're building a new studio specifically just for creating open world action adventure style games. So for me, that first right in of itself is amazing because that is what I love. I love action adventure games. I love open world games. Again, just like with Time Splitters, my hope would be here that they are for story centric, single player focused experiences. And typically in this kind of an environment, open world uh, action adventure, I, I'm pretty positive or confident that that's probably what we'll end up seeing from the studio, especially when you look at who EA hired to head this studio, which is ex-Monolith Vice President Kevin Stevens. Now, Monolith, just to put it out there, and Kevin Stevens specifically, they were all involved in Shadow of Mordor. And if you never played the Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War games, they are the games that were set in the Lord of the Rings universe, and they were really, really good. I know there were some issues with Shadow of War as far as microtransactions and having a paywall blocking certain things towards the end of the game. Listen to Graveyard Gamers podcast, good friend of the show. He has some very good insight onto the details of that game. But I personally, because of his initial feedback, did not play that one, but I love Shadow of Mordor. So I know what he has uh, and that developer has uh, under their pedigree, and I would hope and think that he would bring that to uh, whatever game or games that this new company and new studio would develop. Uh, you know, just the creativity of the Nemesis system and the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games. If you're bringing something brand new to the gaming space, that's always a welcome thing. And hopefully that is also going to be a goal of whatever games they create at this new studio. Now, according to Samantha Ryan, which is uh, EA Senior Vice President and Group General Manager... The company's still trying to figure out a lot of, as she puts it, quote-unquote foundational questions. So how big are they going to go with these games? What kinds of games and which games are they going to make? How fast do they want the studio to grow? Now, quote-unquote, Kevin and I both know how important it is to get the foundation of any studio right, and he'll take his time to figure it all out. When you rush, you don't give yourself time to be thoughtful why rush? And I got to tell you, Samantha, I could not agree with you more. Just as I had said previously about time splitters and with the free radical devs and getting just getting their feet wet with the game and trying to figure out what it is they actually want to do. 
I am all behind that. Patience, time, it's all required to come out with that masterful stroke of a game that's just going to blow the industry away and us as gamers. So I'm all about that. I really, really hope that, uh, honestly, it's a new IP. Uh, you know, there's no inclination or no understanding yet, according to what we've been told, that they have any idea of what they're working on. But I am very much an advocate, if you're a listener of this show, you know this, of new IP. I constantly am looking for the next greatest adventure that I don't yet know that I need. Now, I will say, I will say this is EA, and if it's open world and if it's action adventure, one thing, one franchise that I think I would love, well, I know I would love to see EA revisit And it is one that they could potentially do in an open world setting, given how the last game in the series ended. One that I would love to see them revisit is the series of Dead Space. That is probably my favorite of all time franchise from EA, especially original franchise that EA has done. Because, you know, they got a lot of buy-in on the Battlefield franchise and they had the licensed games as far as uh, the Star Wars games and I don't really consider Mass Effect or Dragon Age EA games. I like to consider them more Bioware games. So I won't consider those in there. But Dead Space was an original creation coming out of a studio created at EA. And I got to tell you, I just absolutely ate up all three entries in that series. Now, I will say Dead Space 2 is the clear best in the series. But Dead Space 3 was still a lot of good stuff going on there. Yes, it left... A lot of the horror and terror behind of the first two games, more in favor of action. But I will say the way that third game ended, essentially with you crashing uh, back to Earth, there is a lot of potential there for an open world style environment to really expand (laughs) what the previous three games did. Now, I will say Dead Space 1 and 2 were very isolated in their environments, Three expanded that, and you were on a specific planet the whole time. Now, I will say, I think they could open that up even more and have very much open-world style exploration, whether it's a flying vehicle or a land traversal vehicle, however you work it out. The bottom line is, I really see the potential for there to be a Dead Space game there. That would really just make me lose my mind, I'll be honest with you, because (laughs) I would be so excited. So the bottom line is, a lot of cool stuff going on, a lot of new stuff, new studios opening up and new opportunities and ideas very exciting to me and i cannot wait to see what these new studios put together for us as gamers so that'll do it for my news catch of the week now let's open up my captain's log and see what games i've been playing gamers it was another week of play for me and i was able to squeeze out another two hours in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the never-ending epic of amazingness that it is. And I say that with wholehearted love. I have put over 100 hours into this game at this point, and I still am only roughly 36% overall completion, according to the Ubisoft app. Now, I will say that what I was able to do this past week was complete the current main story arc quest that I was on. And Coming outside of that quest is when I really just started to open myself up to exploration for the region that I'm currently in, which is Oxenfordshire, or Exenfordshire is how they say it in the game. 
but I like to say Oxfordshire, so we're going to go with that for the show. So bottom line is what I really started doing is once that quest was done, I was given my next objective, which had me going back north towards Buckingham, which is a place I had already been to and was not yet ready to go back to. So I decided that I was going to go more towards the east, south, southeast, and southwest areas of that region to start knocking out those icons, defogging the map, hitting up any viewpoints or anything like that that I would come across. And let me just tell you, throughout the course of my time in this region, it's absolutely gorgeous. Now, I know that's kind of redundant because every region that I've encountered in this game is absolutely gorgeous. But Oxfordshire is definitely no different. There's a, a lot of greens and just very beautiful, crisp, fresh, healthy looking green is the way I know how to describe it. And it's combined very nicely with blues and purples. There's uh, different flowers and plants and things like that that just help accentuate the greenness. And the environment itself is just absolutely gorgeous. The sun plays in through it all. It's just an absolute visual feast to enjoy as you're going through and exploring this region. Now, there were a couple of world events that I did, obviously, as I'm knocking out these icons. And those world events, for those of you that may not have played the game, they're like little, not even I would say side missions, but they're just different liter literal events that you happen upon as you are exploring the world. And the first one I'll talk about real quick is one that really cracked me up. You kind of come into this clearing and there's a pond. And you see a young girl across the pond and she's on a dock and she's she's basically yelling out her brother's name and, and looking for help, essentially. And so Eivor walks up to her, asks what's going on, and she tells him that there's been this nasty goblin that has transformed her brother into a fish. And essentially, I'm going to need to fish him out of the pond. Okay, so I pull out my line and I start fishing. Well, I go through about two fish and no brother at least from the pond. Next thing you know, he comes out the bushes. He's feeling bad and guilty. Ultimately, these kids were trying to swindle me. They were trying to get somebody to do the fishing labor, the fishing work for them. They were tasked with fishing and bringing back fish to the market. And they were just trying to swindle somebody into doing all the work for them. So I did feel kind of bad. So I have the option of giving them the fish that I did catch or not. I ended up giving the kids the fish. But it was still a little cool just randomness that happened as I was exploring the region. But it was the next world event that I came across that really just kind of hit home with me. And let's just say you come across this little hut and there's an old man who's sitting outside of the hut and he's essentially once he sees me and you communicate with him, let's just say he is pretty much blind and he's not necessarily 100% still of his right mind. And he's thinking uh, and very much convinced that I am his daughter, Rose. Even once I try to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm not Rose, you got the wrong person here. Uh, he is adamant that I am Rose. So I go with it. And he ultimately wants to tell me a story about him and his wife and how they met. So I agree. And we go to a campfire to the side of his house. And he ends up starting to tell me this story and he falls asleep a few sentences in. Well, I'm given the option to wake him up or just let him sleep. Well, I continue to try to wake him up and continue the story. And he falls asleep again uh, and ultimately tells me the story, ending with handing me his wife's ring, which in his mind is my mother's ring. So I have the option to accept it or not. And 
I decided that, you know what, within the context of what's going on here, I will accept the ring because I feel that it would make this man be more at peace. I feel like it would hurt his feelings if I did not take the ring. So I take the ring. Well, I leave the man at this point at the campfire and decide to look inside his house. Well, there's a note that's been left. It's from Rose. And apparently she had been helping out a nearby village with the sick. There was a plague that seemed to be going around and she was trying to help them. But it got to a point where she felt there was just too many that she couldn't do any help anymore and was going to come home soon. Well, long story short, I'll leave the outcome to that story for you gamers to find. But let's just say just something as random as this, just to come across it like that was is just one reason why the world events in this game are just so amazing. So outside of those two world events, one of the other really cool things that I did that was a first for me in the game after, yes, even after 100 hours, I'm still finding firsts for me to do. And that was my first treasure hoard. Uh, sometimes in the game, you'll come across treasure maps or different descriptions of locations that you can follow to get to a treasure hoard. And in this instance, it was a treasure hoard and words that I had to essentially decipher where this location was. And uh, ultimately, it took some intervention from my wife, who is well over 200 hours into this game, mind you, uh, to kind of give me a little push in the right direction. And uh, let's just say that I will save that for my buried treasure, a uh, little on the nose, <laughs> later in the episode. Now, I will say there are some really cool Roman ruins in this area that had this temple built into the side of a mountain. That was really awesome to explore. You guys know I'm always about pulling out a torch and just kind of Indiana Jonesing the area and these tombs. Absolutely loved it. Uh, there was also a small town that I was involved in in the earlier parts of my exploration. Uh, there was some flighting that I won, which is basically Viking rap battles, if you guys were unaware of what exactly flighting is. Uh, I won a new drinking game in that town, as well as perused its local shop. And uh, they had a lot of really good stuff that I needed. Some ingots for my upgrading of armor and different weapons. So absolutely enjoyed a ton of what Oxenfordshire had to offer. And that was all only in two hours of playtime. But the next game that I played is a massive departure from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And it is, let me just go out and say it, The Forest. Now, this game is a PS4 exclusive, backwards compatible on the PS5. I played it on the PS5. It was on sale recently, a couple weeks ago, for as low as $5. And this game is one that I've had my eye on since a preview that I saw in the Game Informer years ago. This game released back in 2018. And it was in this Game Informer. I saw the preview. I thought the graphics looked amazing. The concept of the story, it just, it, it all sounded great. And it was only on PS4 though. And at the time, I really, outside of major PlayStation Studios exclusives, didn't really play a whole lot of my PS4. And it, it took a lot for me to be pulled away from the Xbox. Well, that's not the kind of gamer I am anymore. And obviously the Forest never released on the Xbox. At the time I was like, well, eventually maybe they'll have a port. Well, they never did. So here we are. The game's five bucks. It's something I've always been curious about, so I'm getting it. I finally decided to try it out last night, and I got to tell you, I was absolutely surprised at how much I enjoyed the game. 
Because if you don't know what The Forest is, it is a survival game that's also a horror game. So not a survival horror game in the sense of like Resident Evil or Silent Hill, but it is a survival game where you have to find all of your resources, cut down trees and uh, collect all different kinds of resources to build and build shelter and cook food and things of that nature. That's what this game's all about. But it's the context and the setting that it's in that makes it unique. So give you a real quick premise of what this game is. You, at the very beginning, are on an airline plane, just flying, doing your trip, and of course it crashes. At the end of the crash, you are kind of fading in and out, and your son Timmy has been abducted by this really creepy-looking indigenous person to what is very quickly found out by you, this island that you crash-landed on. And uh, basically, that's your ultimate goal, is to find other survivors, but to ultimately get to Timmy and rescue him. Well, the thing that sets this game apart from other survival kind of games where you crash land on an isolated island, there is an indigenous people here that are also cannibals, and they will hunt and stalk and come find you. <laughs> and they will drag you back to their lair, which happens to be in the tunnels underneath the island. Now, I will say that here is how my first two hours played out in the forest. So as I awake after Timmy is taken from me, I'm right there at the crash site of the plane. And I'm looking around. There's luggage strewn about the forest. The graphics are beautiful. It's a lush, foresty, tropical kind of looking area. And I just start walking around, picking up things. I very quickly, before I even leave the plane, there is a little uh, climbing axe that you can pick up. And that is the most valuable tool so far at this point in the game for you because it allows you to hack away at trees, which gives you logs to build different things. It allows you to hack away at just different tiny trees with slim branches that you need these branches to build other things. All kinds of different things going on. So the first objective for you to do is you have to find and get somewhere that you can have shelter. So once you find a location, I carved out a nice little spot that was near what I identified as a place of fresh water. So once I carved out a location that I wanted to put up a little shack of mine, I was able to do that near the fresh water. It also was right adjacently across from a small pond where fish are populated. And I could, ironically enough, there is conveniently a spear right on the outside of this pond that I could use to spear fish catch fish for food. But after I set up shop and I you know, was able to corral some leaves and rocks to build me a fire pit and cook me some fish, the day-night cycle starts and it starts to become dark. And as things start to turn dark, I start to hear noises. Very fast-paced footsteps is what it sounds like. And then I hear the shrieks in the darkness you don't see anybody. I don't see anyone, anything. Next thing you know, I tell you guys, wearing that 3D Pulse headset and hearing those footsteps and the rah, come up right behind you to your left. Woo! I, and I've just been playing Resident Evil, but I can tell you right now, absolutely terrifying. Let's just say at certain points without going too long in the cuff here, I, I did get uh, attacked uh, I got knocked out to the point of being dragged underground and I had to try to find my way out of these tunnels. And uh, it was 
very unnerving to say the least. And let's just say, make sure if you get caught in the tunnels to find a can of hairspray because hairspray and a lighter, those are invaluable combinations to have when you are in that tunnel system. Let's just say that. Uh, and there are just some terrifying uh, amalgamations uh, is what I will say that you can run into in those tunnels. I will say my other favorite part about my time with the forest was I finally found a shoreline and right just off the shore, there is a, a yacht that you can swim out to and there is some cool stuff in there. One of the cool things I found was a cassette player and a cassette and you can actually listen to the cassette and it's music. And there's different cassette tapes that you can find throughout the course of the game that have different music tracks. Turn on the music and then I go start chopping down trees, getting some logs to continue building that wall and building different things I need like a garden or a water catcher. And oh man, it's just, it's basically a cycle. You gotta stay, you gotta survive the night essentially to get to the next day of work to continue surviving until you can track down ultimately any other surviving members of this flight, or ultimately, Timmy. So the forest, a lot of great fun. Absolutely enjoyed it. I can't wait to try out now Stranded Deep, which was one of the free PS Plus games last month. Very similar in that survival-esque on a stranded island, stranded on an island kind of a game. So definitely can't wait to check that out. But the final game that I'll talk about on my captain's log here is Resident Evil 8. And as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show, I've been playing it for a couple weeks now since it released. And I was able to finally beat the game this past week. Uh, I did continue that game's third and fourth areas that are on the outskirts of the village. As I was describing in last week's episode, my exploration of the second area outside of the village. Uh, obviously, I completed the final areas and, and beat the game. I, I will say... They continued the game's trend of different styles of gameplay in each area, which I really loved uh, that the game did this. I thought that it was made for very unique experiences in every aspect of what you were doing in each area. So I thoroughly enjoyed that and thoroughly enjoyed the game overall. And I cannot wait to see what Capcom does next with Resident Evil 9. I will say that I don't know if there's going to be any DLC coming for Resident Evil 8 like there was for 7. There hasn't been anything mentioned yet, so we can kind of wait and see. I know that RE-verse is supposed to come out this summer. So outside of that, there's nothing yet planned for the game. But doesn't mean they can't obviously drop any kind of announcement at any point in time. I will say that for me specifically, that's all I'll kind of say about the game for now. Because I will have a review. My definitive, very detailed thoughts on the game coming in hopefully a short time. So that'll do it for this week's Captain's Log. Now let's see what my highlight of the week was. Gamers, as much as I love my time in the forest and my exploration of Oxfordshire and Valhalla, it was actually a moment in Resident Evil 8 that stood out above the rest as my highlight of the week this past week. And what that was was exploring the character Heisenberg. He is the fourth and final family member uh, or lord that you will face and final area that you will go to in Resident Evil 8. And it was exploring his factory. Uh, it was absolutely, uh, absolute pleasure to explore. Not just the factory itself, but also the areas leading up to the factory on the outside, the outdoor environments of the village. There is just a lot of really cool stuff there. I don't want to go into too many details so as not to spoil anything for anyone. 
uh, let's just say that the build up to get to his factory and then the factory itself is really the highlight here. I absolutely loved the level design of that factory. It was multiple floors. You had as low as basement level four, and then you had as high as uh, level three or four, as far as the factory itself is concerned, above ground. So there were many bosses that you come across throughout, crazy insane tension buildup moments in, inside tightly, very dimly lit corridors, and the unique enemy types that were within this factory, I just absolutely ate them up. I love them. I thought they were great character and enemy designs their movements and their attack patterns and just the variety of them and the pacing of this location was awesome. I loved how they maintained the presence of the Duke floor to floor for you. I thought that was great as far as from a design choice and thinking of the gamer in this sense, there's a lot of ground to cover and a lot of things to do here. There was really cool locations for different secrets and hidden areas and just the story that you found in this factory. There was just the details of Heisenberg's backstory that played out here. And you would find it in different areas. It would be, in some rooms, it would be in different documents that were left behind about the experiments that he was doing. In other rooms, there were audio logs that he would have left behind for you to listen to as he was doing some of those experiments. And it was just, I've talked before about the Metroidvania approach overall to the design of the world of Resident Evil 8. And how the village is kind of that main hub piece that connects the four outer areas. And those four outer areas, typically you go there, you get an ability or gain an item that allows you access to something previously inaccessible inside the village. Well, it was the exact same concept in Heisenberg's factory, except isolated to that factory. So there were, with all those different multiple levels and different areas you can go to, it was how it happened and how it played out the entire factory. You would go to basement level three to gain an item to get you back to a new area and floor two. It was just different things like that. And I absolutely love that kind of gameplay and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time in that factory. And it was definitely my favorite of the four locations on the outskirts of the village and my highlight of the week. Now let's go check out some buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Gamers, as mentioned earlier, the extremely on-the-nose Buried Treasure Gaming Tip of the Week this week is going to be all about that treasure hoard that I was struggling to find in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, based on the verbiage that you're given and the description of the location where you should be looking for this treasure hoard, and again, to reiterate, this is going to be in the region of Oxfordshire, and they're going to tell you, essentially, look in the southeastern areas of where the pastures are, which is very specific. And I am past an area guarded by the animals. And it is where water once ran through, but has now since dried up. So keywords there, I'm kind of paraphrasing. It's not the exact verbatim verbiage used in the game, but that's essentially the message that you're given. So for me, you look on the map, and yeah, the pasture is giant and massive, and there's all kinds of different pockets and squared off areas of different animals like cows and sheep and different things. So I'm looking around, and I'm going everywhere trying to find this thing, and give my wife credit. The tip I will give you guys is, what has water that can eventually dry out that's in this game? Well, I'll tell you. If you go into any village or any 
most, I would say, not any, most homes around the world of Valhalla, what is typically on the outside adjacent to those homes? That would be a well. Now, that is what you're looking for, is a well. And at the bottom of this well, as are many wells in the game, uh, at the bottom you can climb down and there's usually some nice little goodies for you to find. In this case, this specific well will have that treasure hoard for you. And I will tell you that it is in the southeastern pasture area of the Oxenfordshire map. And what I would suggest is to use Sunin to get that aerial view to locate and isolate the well. At that point, mark it on your map, and then, boom, you go from point A to B, climb down the well, get a couple goodies and your treasure hoard, and you're good to go. So that's my buried treasure gaming tip for the week. Now let's go see what my captain's decree is. Gamers, this past week, Microsoft and Bethesda announced that they would be hosting a joint press conference for E3 this year. Now, E3, it starts June 12th, and it runs for a few days. We're very, very, very close to the dates, which I'm very excited about. I love this time of year, even though it's not traditional E3 as it was for all those decades before. The bottom line is we still get some sort of similar experience with each individual publisher, for the most part, holding their own press conferences. Ubisoft's already announced their own. Uh, PlayStation always holds their own. The bottom line is Microsoft and Bethesda is what we're here to talk about and what my decree is this week. Is it a good thing that Xbox and Bethesda have joined for a joint conference this E3? Well, my opinion is this. The first thing that jumps out at me is uh, no. I, I don't think it's a good thing, uh, in my opinion. The reason why is this, guys. I feel like each company has enough on their own, as has been evident in the past few years, that they've each held their own conferences to where I feel like we're going to be missing out as gamers to have both of them be part of one conference. Because here's my thing. I don't want them to get in the way of each other. Microsoft, we'll talk about them first. Think of all the first-party games that they're supposed to be working on right now with all those first-party developers they've acquired over the last few years. I want to see as much detail as I can on Perfect Dark and Fable, possibly Gears 6, the new Forza, Halo Infinite, There's any other new titles. Please, any new information on Hellblade. <laughs> Anything. I, there's just... I could go on and on. There are a ton of potential titles that Microsoft could speak to on just their own conference for two hours. So let's just hypothetically say you cut that time in half to an hour to share that two-hour space with Bethesda. Obviously, that's half as many announcements or half as much detail or TLC given to the individual titles that maybe would have otherwise they would have gotten had it been a full two-hour Xbox press conference, a full two-hour Bethesda press conference. Now, I don't know if this is a way to, hey, let's cut costs, and instead of paying for two different uh, areas and two different press conferences, how about we just do one joint conference? Now, I, I don't think that money is necessarily an issue for Microsoft, or I, I would think that it wouldn't be, but uh, so I don't know. I'm just speculating here, but why do a joint conference? I don't feel like you need to you know, pound your chest 
uh, anymore to say, hey, look, we are one and the same. Xbox owns Bethesda. And that's not a slight on Microsoft. And that's not saying that is what they actually are doing here. But at the same time, it's like, look, guys, we know that you guys are together. We know that you, Microsoft, purchased Bethesda. Okay, cool. But right now, let's see what games you guys are coming out with. Now, on Bethesda's end, I think about them. They have a lot also. I really hope there is a Fallout 5 in the works. We also know about Starfield. And we also know Elder Scrolls 6 is in the works. Those three alone could spend a lot of time talking about and effort on those. Because if they are mentioned at this E3, I would hope for more than just a little two-minute teaser trailer for any of them. I would love to see some gameplay and a little bit more in-depth conversation about what these games are going to be and what we can expect from them. Now, my problem is, those are just three titles for Bethesda. Bethesda, they have all kinds of other titles at their disposal under their belt that they could be talking about. There's a Wolfenstein 3 that definitely needs to happen. The way that Wolfenstein 2 ended and the way that trilogy, in my opinion, seemed to be going. There's also another Prey they could be talking about. There is the Doom series and the next successor to Doom Eternal. I know they just had the Fallen Gods DLC and wrapped that up, but there could be a potential for a lot of other things as well. I just think that they're going to get in each other's way, and I hope it's not indicative of what to expect going forward from the two. Now, again, this is all just kind of speculation on my part and, and concern and, and hope that it is not going to end up this way. I have no idea what to expect. Maybe they'll pull it off and it'll be amazing, or maybe there'll be some giant three-hour conference and they only each cut off about a half hour of their respective conferences of what they would have been if they were individual. I don't know. I just don't want them to get in each other's way is the ultimate bottom line here. I will say that I got to mention and acknowledge the Starfield rumor uh, <laughs> that's online right now, which is essentially saying that Starfield has been somewhat confirmed as an Xbox PC exclusive. Now, i got to be honest with you, obviously it's not confirmed yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if that did end up being the case and they made some kind of joint announcement. But at the same time, I don't feel like you need to have a joint conference to make that kind of an announcement. And if it is exclusive to Xbox, I feel like it would be the most sense. It would make the most sense. Because if you come out with Elder Scrolls Six or Fallout 5 and say they're exclusive to Xbox... You just alienate your entire PlayStation fan base uh, that you've had for all these years in the past couple console generations. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes from this conference. So I will be keeping my eyes very closely fixed on what the results are here. And best believe, as has been the case in the past, I will be doing specific coverage on all of the different E3 press conferences. And I cannot wait to see what they have on offer, and then discuss and share my thoughts, opinions with you guys, the listeners. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live or PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming as well as on Twitter at Lost at C G A M I N the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.